Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Michael Kelly, and with us, as always, Mr. Nathan Bear. Nathan, how you doing? I'm just peachy, Mike. Uh, greetings and salutations. How are you doing? Oh, I'm. I feel great, and I'm. I'm ready uh, to talk about Pacific Rim Uprising. Uh, yeah. Part uh. two. Part, part do Pacific Rim Electric Boogaloo, as it were. Um, the sequel that I'm going to say no one either ever expected was going to happen or, like, wanted. <laughs> Aside from, like, the mo- like me and you uh, and, yes. like, maybe yes. 15 other people <laughs> exactly. in the continental United States <laughs> wanted to see another Pacific Rim, but right. certainly the general public... Uh, I don't think you could ask them like, "What? Wow, sequel to the Pacific Rim," and they'd be like, "What's what Pacific Rim? What are you talking yeah. about?" Um, That's so. crazy. You're crazy. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> Put your pants back on and get away from me. No, that's <laughs> fine. Um, so let's see. This came out March fifteenth, uh, two thousand eighteen. So not that long ago, less than a month ago. Um, it was budgeted at a hundred, between a hundred and fifty and a hundred and seventy-six million. Uh, thus far, as of April 9th, uh, it has grossed uh, 267.3 million dollars. And, and I've uh, done some, some of the research. Uh, allegedly, it has to gross over 350 million to uh, break even. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has to, it has to generate, and that's from a, a planetary standpoint. Like yeah. an international total has to be um, three hundred fifty million. So it has to gross another hundred million dollars um, in order to break even. And it's been out for a month. So <laughs> what I'm trying to say is they may be looking at some losses on this film that they definitely should not have made, but they did make. So they did make it. Um, <laughs> there you go. I'm better for it, but clearly they're not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, oh yeah, I'm gl- like I'm glad it exists. Yeah, you know, because the uh, the kaiju action in it is some of the most beautiful and and like well shot uh, kaiju stuff ever that I and like it's... in a big budget. Yeah, you know this this sort of like let me qualify that in in this sort of neo kaiju movies that we're getting now so it's like basically b movies with multi-hundred million dollar budgets you know right um and in that category yeah it's the 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 city destruction scenes and the kaiju fights and the various jaeger uh, encounters all look all look fantastic so and i think most if not all of them take place during the day yes um, in broad daylight Yes, uh, all but all but one of them, and that's sort of like right. the uh, the clone coup, as it were, that takes right. place at night. But I think everything else, I think you're right, um, takes place during the day when it is not raining, um, which is again we're at that level where the visual effects can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've 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 got our cake and we can eat it too at long last. Right. A little background on Pack Rim One. If if you for whatever reason haven't um, listened to to our episode, 
on that particular film from 2013. It was directed by Guillermo del Toro, who just won Best Director and for his film that also won Best Picture, uh, The Shape of Water. Yes, um, which, which he is... turned down this film to right. direct that. Yes. So um, he clearly, uh, it was a win-win for him. Oh, he uh, chose so correctly. <laughs> he chose so wisely. And uh, that film from 2013 that he wrote and, and directed, along with, um, you know, Travis Beacom also helped out on, the, on, on that script, um, was essentially the dream come true, you know, kaijus fighting giant robots. And mm -hmm. so this, and in that film, there was a great kaiju war, and, and the, sort of the premise was that these kaiju were coming through what was known as the breach, and that was in the Pacific Ocean. In order to stop the monsters, we had to create monsters of our own, so forth, and they create these enormous robots known as the Jaegers, and each Jaeger is so big that it has to necessitate the control of two different pilots who are linked through like the neural handshake yeah, yeah neural handshake adrift uh um, drift yeah it's so yeah that's how they maintain control of these giant behemoths the kaiju and uh yeah it uh, gives them an excuse to uh have to work together yeah uh and develop character yeah um a, a big theme of both of these movies is teamwork and like international teamwork and like the birth coming together as sort of like a community community to to stop this threat and that's that's cool uh yeah. that's a we could use more good vibes like that right now about like working together and helping each other out that's in that's the, a fine in the tradition of kishiro hondo in his films uh the, the the sense of global coming together for whatever catastrophe has uh, befelt Earth, uh, depending on which movie you're watching, whether it's Mu, uh, the third planet of the black hole, the Mysterians, the space Luki, uh, uh, Charles Nelson Riley, all these <laughs> things. Uh, Forces of evil that must be stopped at any cost. Um, by any means necessary. By any means necessary. Yum, 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 yum. <laughs> uh, wow, wow, wow. So, here's the thing. That movie, it was sort of like... It, it kind of... It, it came out of nowhere, Pacific Rim, and like it shouldn't have been profitable, but it's through some freak thing, it ended up making like a, a lot of money uh most of it in china and so come hell or high water through a few sort of industry insider things a lot of it having to do with legendary pictures uh being purchased by different companies and and sort of different ips kind of moving around and and really the focus of every major film studio now which is to just raid whatever intellectual property you have and whether the demand is there for it or not turn it into a franchise right you know no matter where the characters were at the end of the last one if things were 
pretty well, you know, taken care of, which they absolutely were at the end of yeah. Pacific Rim. The yes. war was over. Was they over. closed the rim. <laughs> Cut to five years later, we have Pacific Rim Uprising. It's directed by a gentleman called, name of which is Stephen S. D. Knight. D E K N I G H T. Capital K N I G H T. Exactly. Capital D and a capital K. So, Denight. Stephen S. Denight taken over for Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro. So he could win all of his Academy Awards and get. Again, not only did he just win Best Picture and Best Director for Shape of Water, that film also got 13 Academy Award nominations. That's a lot. Yeah. So a lot. again, Guillermo, nice work. He does serve as a producer on this film along with uh, John Boyega, uh, Kale Boiter, John Jashini, Femi Ungans, Mary Parent, and a gentleman by the name of Thomas Tull. Mm. So they produced it. And um, John Boyega also stars in it. As Jake Pentecost, cost, yes, Coasting. son of uh, Marshall Pentecost, <laughs> right? Striker from Pentecost the from the original Pacific Rim, which was played by uh, Idris Elba, and he was just ah. so awesome in that yes. movie. He was he canceled the apocalypse quite famously and um, stole my heart. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> yes, um. So, yeah, the, the focus of this film, uh, you know, we'll, we'll elaborate on this further when we get to the plot. But uh, the focus of this film is it takes place 10 years later. And we basically meet the children of sorts, uh, the next generation. Uh, so this is like, I don't know, Degrassi, but uh, with mechs. This is it's like Saved by the Bell, like... <laughs> The new class where Screech <laughs> came back and he was like helping out Principal Belding, <laughs> I guess, sort of yeah. like that with it's giant the... robots fighting giant monsters, and about as good <laughs> until the actual <laughs> monster action starts happening. You've got the son of a of a character from the first film with Jake Pentecost, Pentecost, what have you, then. The three returning characters, you've got Mako Mori, uh, who's Rinky Kaikuchi. Rinko Kaikuchi. Rinko, exactly. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, Charlie Day as Dr. Newton Gilzeeler, Gleiser, something. And then Bern Gorman as Dr. Herman Giltube. So they're the returning guys. Tragically, uh, Ron Perlman does not return as Hannibal Chow yeah. in this film, even though he is referenced very quickly in, in a line towards the beginning, but that's not enough. If you have yeah. a movie where Ron Perlman is alive in this universe, he goddamn better well be in the movie. And Especially not. when the end of the last movie, it, they specifically added a scene at the end where he comes back. Absolutely. Uh, and I remember seeing that movie, that scene, waiting, because it was a post-credits scene, 
and when Ron Perlman cut himself out of the baby kaiju's stomach or whatever, I was again very loudly exclaimed, "Yeah!" You know, and and the people around me looked at me like, you know, he's having uh, some some challenges emotionally here. So I was expecting Ron Perlman to come back. No such luck. No. Um, but and, on the bright side, neither none of the three. Let me uh, reiterate this: none of the three identical white leading male actors from the first movie <laughs> uh, make an appearance, and. Um, Part of me is not sad about that at all. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Hunnam, it's interesting because he was the main character in the first film. Well, yeah. he was the co-main character. Mako yeah. is, they're both the main character. They both control Gypsy Danger, I believe she was called in the first one. Yeah. Uh, now back as Gypsy Avenger. Mm-hmm. And... But he is almost like all knowledge and awareness of him has been is like been swallowed up by an alternate universe, like mm-hmm. the uh, that Berenstein Bears thing, like the uh, oh the Mandela effect. Yeah, the Mandela effect has made Charlie Hunnam's character cease to exist because yes. it's like. They sort of talk about him once in this movie, like yeah. he's dead. <laughs> it's like where where is he? You know, but what happened to it? Like he was again co main character in the last movie, now just sort of swallowed up and yeah. gone, and no <laughs> one cares. It's just sort of, and like yeah. to be clear, I don't care, and yeah. I'm happy that he's <laughs> not back in this movie because I can't remember his character's name. I own Pacific Rim, okay? I've seen it many times. I have no idea what Charlie Hunnam's character's name is in that film. It's that guy with the Boston accent. Mako. Mako. Let's go get some tacos. He's the blonde, hunky guy who lives the longest. That's it. (laughs) Of the three. Who, again, (laughs) those characters. Two other actors that look almost identical (laughs) to him, and it became painfully hard to tell the three of them apart. Yeah. So. And that's not including, I think he played his own twin brother. I'm pretty sure he played his own twin brother at the beginning, who, you know, died, and that started, um, you know. Or we could be also remembering Avatar. I don't. Which, hey. No, no, like, no, no, no. Because Jake yeah. Sully has a twin, right? Yeah. Yeah, he oh, does. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. All, it's all... We're getting into something here. We're getting into something there may be no return from. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> we got to pull out. Uh, we so. got to pull out. Never. I, never. No. Um, um, so the screenplay for this film, if you, if you must... Uh, is by Emily Carmichael, Kara Snyder, David S. DeKnight, and someone named T.S. Nowlin. Um, and the music is by uh, a gentleman called Lorne Baffle? Baffle? Bel- Belfi? Belfi? Belfi. Belfi. Lorne Rumple of the Bailey. That's how it's yes. pronounced. Rumpled of the Bailey. That's... Yes. Uh, that's uh, that that references way over 
any of our listeners, no one will get that reference. Um, okay. Challenge to yeah. our listeners. Figure out yeah. what Nathan is talking about. You know, something I've been trying to do for five years now. Uh, <laughs> this is what we've turned into. Uh, you hate me, don't you? Um, so, and, and Balfi, he basically kind of hobbles through this movie by kind of picking some of the um, main themes from, uh, that uh, from the first film by uh, right. Raman Dejawadi, who has that one really great sort of yeah. theme uh, that Lauren wisely takes and yeah. re-implements. Yeah. Re-implements. Yeah, yeah. St- seals. Well, because, it's not stealing uh, if it's the same franchise. That's true. Um, well, I, I will say that it, I, I I enjoyed this movie on a personal level. However, uh, one of the many, many complaints uh, I have is that uh, musical score really wasn't there, uh, except for yeah. when he took fr- uh, cues from the previous film, in which case it's like, oh, right. Music in a movie, right? That's what it's supposed to sound like. Um, that that was probably one of the the few major disappointments I had with this film was that uh, you know for the previous film having such great music, distinguishing itself uh, so fully from you know all the Marvel movies, as pointed out by the uh, video series Every Frame of Painting, by having music like real music. Like, not just right. mood, you know, mood pieces, you know, strung throughout. Uh, this was actually, like, a soundtrack, a score. Like, something you could be like, oh, hey, I know that tune. I can name that tune. Uh, this, unfortunately, uh, d- did not uh, re- reach that level of grandeur. So, yeah, music-wise. So, it's... Uh... You know, again, just just when it goes back to the score of the first film, it sort of pops, and you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Um, but the rest of it's all just sort of like the John Williams, like late period John Williams, like gravy of just like yeah, disposable musical score, which yep. that's fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's not as good as Gravy's gravy by any means. <laughs> not nearly. Um. And so I'm, I'm thinking what else before we get into it? Um, well, I think maybe we have two separate opinions of this film, which I think we should just, before we talk about the plot, we should probably uh, just get off our chest. I personally enjoyed this film. I don't think it's a game changer by any means. I don't think it's better than the first one. Absolutely not. But the 12-year-old in me really enjoyed it because it was just action it, it was just action and pulp characters shoved through a tube and just you know let loose and i enjoyed that i was this is the first movie in a while where i just didn't have a moment of excuse me first kaiju film in a while that i've watched where i wasn't you know bored to tears uh which is important i was enjoying it the people around me were enjoying it the film stopped before the climax of the film, like literally at a, a, 
a moment uh, right before the climax, and uh, everyone in the theater was just like, oh, no, you know, when's it gone? They got the projector back working within about five minutes, but we were just like, oh, fuck. You know, we were really liking where it was going. So, yeah. That's... Um... I don't necessarily disagree with you. Yeah. I enjoyed myself. Uh, I've seen it twice now. And mm. the second time around, I I was fine with it. I, I, I do think the kaiju stuff is really great. The stuff with the characters is fine. Um, it's not terrible <laughs> i'd probably I just, watch it again i don't think i'm gonna like own it because i own the first one right um i think again this is a film that's made for the like youtube like montage of just all the fight scenes stuck together mm-hmm. <laughs> and cutting out because that first hour or so of just like setup is a little I mean, it's not like atrocious or by any means, but it's certainly disposable. Mm. And it, it just it just barely justifies its own existence. A lot of that is like Charlie Day going overtime on the, you know, doing what he can with his yeah. um character. But uh let's get into it a little bit more of the specifics. And let's see if I can explain myself, you can explain yourself, and if Pacific Rim Uprising can, in fact, explain itself. Jake, your father always said he wanted you to be a pilot. He said a lot of things. I'm not a hero like he was. The kaiju. They're gonna come back. I'm not gonna be stuck waiting for someone else to come save my ass. Cadets, you better gear up. How'd they get into our world? Someone let them in. Someone from our world. Who is that? Definitely not one of ours. Let's do this. This is your chance to make things right. We're gonna need more pilots. We have them. There are pilots we remember as legends, but they didn't start out that way. They started out like us. This is our time to make a difference. Do you understand? Jaeger pilots, do you understand? One way to find out. That's what I'm talking about! It's gonna be a long day. What do we do? 
We fight! Got that look, that look that makes me weak. You with your eyes across the table technique. You and now, boys and girls, it's time to discuss the plot. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Nathan. Whatever that was. Okay. <laughs> so the film starts off with like the Universal and the legendary. Um, logos and i thought this was quite cool like it was like redone this is pretty standard nowadays where they have like they do something creative with the logos but i thought it was particularly cool with this one because it seemed i don't know like like it was all graphically like it was a bunch of computer readouts that were all sort of converging and creating the font in a mm -hmm. kind of a cool way. And the, and the score, this is one of the few times in the film where the score actually sounds like, oh, okay, there's going to be a cool sc like score where the, the composer's making choices here. Um, but then it just, you know, kind of cuts out after that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're introduced with... Um to our protagonist, uh, Jake Pentecost, uh, via voiceover, who explains that it's 10 years after the Battle of the Breach, and he's not his father's son. And it cuts to him partying, and him talking about uh, how now that kaiju are no longer a thing, uh, the world isn't too particularly focused on Jaegers anymore, and that a big part of his life is finding black, mo black market Jaeger parts uh, for scrap. Similarly playing on the idea of kaiju parts in the first movie, which, uh, you know, this, again, would have been a good time to have a Ron Perlman cameo. Yeah. Think, think he would have been uh, perfect uh to just you know give give him a, a couple million just to be like hi Hannibal Chow from the first one uh yeah I here's, mean here's some Jaeger parts bye you, you know you it's know? interesting <laughs> it's interesting you could have had because the the first sort of sequence and I don't I don't want to jump over I I think this idea this place where they that where they are is which is I guess Santa Monica um yeah. is this is one interesting idea the film introduces this idea of the abandoned coastal cities whereas like at some point they crunched the numbers and they were like you know what it's just going to be too expensive for us to rebuild yeah. <laughs> and so let's just abandon these enormous cities and yeah. so you have these sort of partially destroyed cities with giant kaiju skeletons uh, all over the place and that's sort of a cool idea. That's something they never really got into or even attempted or alluded at in any of the Toho films. Um, right. Whereas, like, if you'll remember... the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> each year, you know, yeah. Ghidra would come and destroy some major city, and then they'd come back the year later, or sometimes, like, 
eight months later and (laughs) you know the city would be totally rebuilt and it's like yeah it's fine you know we can rebuild stuff real quick so uh that i like the idea of them just being like yeah santa monica is pretty much done (laughs) like we're and so like john boyega is is living in uh, a half destroyed mansion in the beginning of this so that was kind of creative that was cool i appreciated um that and they kind of show him partying uh, a little bit there and uh, you know sort of he's he's leaving he's living this weirdly kind of his lifestyle doesn't really i mean he must be have some level of success as this person who gets uh, Jaeger parts for the black market because right. even living in a half destroyed mansion, he still has it looks like quite a few friends. They're all drinking and they're all partying, and yeah, so at least he's very popular. Yeah, um, I mean, so, he's he's the best at it, yeah. Um, but you could have, no. uh, sorry, you could have, and they, they have this sequence where he is taking a group of, of uh, guys through uh, a, a decommissioned Jaeger, um, like th- physically through, the they're climbing through a Jaeger, and mm-hmm. um, the Jaeger is horizontal, it's laying down, they're not like climbing up it, but um, this, I feel you could have had... This could have been Ron Perlman's character from the first mm-hmm. one, where it's like he yeah. could have been like, "You double crossed me at this thing, and now I'm gonna get back at you, or whatever," you know. Yeah. And just because this, this, these groups of of guys that John Boyega is leading through the Jaeger to find like the power core or whatever, th- yeah. this is it. Like they're just in the movie for this one scene, and then they're they're done for the rest of the movie. So you really could have had uh, that. Could have been a cool way to work in. Uh, Ron yeah. Perlman, but they chose to just go with these other characters who are fairly bland. Yeah. Uh, so. I forget which accent were they speaking in. Was it British or like Chechnyan? Rolissican. Or... It's, it's, it's a strong it's Rolissican, Rolissican yeah. accent. <laughs> with a, just a hint of moo. John Boyega gets in this little misadventure with these guys. He kind of delays his his death because basically it's cliched scene we've seen a million times he's leading the guys to the power core the power core is not there the guy says something ultra final level cliched like somebody killed this guy already or whatever and then john Bayega he takes out his little finder thing and he's like, oh, no, the power core is here. It's just moving. We have to go find it or whatever. And leads these guys, again, through a Jaeger. And that's like a cool sequence, something we didn't really see in the first one. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the only action sequences, if not the only action sequence in the movie that is done practically in camera. And it's not just yeah. a whole bunch of digital effects. So that I appreciated and he ditches them by like luring them over like the garbage chute or whatever and and mm-hmm. you know presses the button and dumps them all and that's you know i appreciate that um but then he is sort of tracking down the uh you know wh- wh- the person who took this power core and he tracks this individual back to like the base or whatever their their yeah. base which is just basically like a looked like a abandoned like 
small like prop plane airplane hangar, right? I think it was the same warehouse from Ready Player One. I I, I bet you it's the same <laughs> hangar where the Iron Giant was hanging. Yes. Spoiler alert. Spoiler um, alert. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Iron Giants in that movie. Uh, I I believe it was the same hangar. Uh, yes. <laughs> just from a different angle. Um, um, and it turns yeah. out that this is uh the 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 headquarters the command center as she calls it of Amara uh Namani who yeah. um that's a Which, sort of a japanese sounding name Namani right I mean I her her movie name is easier to pronounce than her real name so I'm just going to her first go with name that. her first her first name is just um Vali it's all um, Kaylee, Kali, C A I L E E, Kali, Kali Ma, Kali Kali Ma, Kali. No, her name. The actress's name is Kali Spaney. Uh, she looks like she's twelve years old. I guess she's twenty, which is uh-huh. weird. She's. Just, I guess she's just small. She's just very small next to John Boyega. I didn't think John mm-hmm. Boyega was like a huge person. Maybe she's yeah. like, I don't know. Um, but she is in this film, and 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 one of the bright spots, charisma wise, uh, John Boyega is also, I think, very good in it in a sort of a roguish Han Solo-y sort of way. And that's yeah. not to call into the you know the new Star Wars movies that he's also in. For the most part, his track record is is solid. John Boyega. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the victories in this movie that are not associated with the kaiju battles come from the, I think, repertoire, which is not a real word, between John Boyega and this character, Amara. Um, mm-hmm. They both have good, really good chemistry together. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that, that works. And that starts in this scene. Um, they hop are... in this Jaeger. Because she's, she's building a Jaeger, which I do have to yes. say is completely absurd. Because she's, again, she looks like an, a young person, like a small... Yeah. And even if it, let's face it, if even if it's Andre the Giant, just the logistics of how she yeah. builds, she has her own, admittedly smaller uh, Jaeger named Scrapper, mm-hmm. um, but it's not really detailed how she built Scrapper, like right. logistically, which is parts. a pretty big plot hole. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Uh, does yeah. she have like cranes and things to help? Because it's it's a giant robot. You know? Yeah, I mean it's just like the size of King Kong. Yeah. So, anyways, there's that. But uh, they they take or she places the the power cell that John Boyega was tracking her there for into Scrapper. They start it up, and all of a sudden they hear the alarms going off, and uh, there is another Jaeger by the name of November Ajax, who looks a lot like, um, you know, Gypsy uh, Danger from the first film, and we are soon to see Gypsy Avenger. 
Um, and they kind of have not really a fight because Scrapper only comes up to November's like shin. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's kind of a cool little just yeah. action sequence, and it, it rolls around and jumps. It's basically almost like a scene from a Sonic the Hedgehog game. Yeah, uh, just you know, tumbling and jumping, and uh, you know, picking up gold coins. You know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, it just this right here is where this movie like establishes its sort of not caring about collateral damage at all sort of streak. Yeah. Um, where they're doing moves and things where it's just like, and, and it's, you don't want to get too far into like dissecting the logic of what's going on in this world, but you have to imagine that in some of these buildings and Scrapper is just haphazardly like jumping through buildings and all yeah. sorts of shit. Like there has to be squatters in some yeah. of these buildings. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, um, the, but the movie just doesn't care, so I guess maybe there aren't whatever. Ja Jaeger um, privilege, Mike. Jaeger privilege. Yeah. Um, that's uh... yeah. They just whatever the characters start drifting, they go mad with power, and it's like yeah. let's see how much collateral damage we can we can cause. But uh, November Ajax neutralizes Scrapper after a very small sort of non encounter, and. Um, basically they're thrown in the Pacific defense police station thing where it's like a, it's a police station, but it's, it's my understanding was it's the same company or, or organization that also runs the Jaegers. Right. Cause like traditional police are not involved when there's like a Jaeger involved. Or something. Well, I guess maybe it's like the difference between the FBI handling a case and uh, your local police handling the case. Okay. Uh, you know, I guess like, <laughs> you know, it, it's like what they call them the ATF for a specific thing as opposed to, you know, uh, your your local sheriff because, you know, their, their, their set of skills are specified in dealing with those specific uh, obstructions. Those... Pacific things. <laughs> Those Pacific things. Uh, anybody who's worried oh. that we don't still got it on this show, we still got it. Um, Speaking of drifting, I just want to go on a limb here and just say that it was a shame that there wasn't a lot of drifting between Boyega and Eastwood. Oh, my God. Like, you know, <laughs> it could have been Nathan. a scene where, you know, it's like, oh, our helmets aren't working. How will we drift? And Boyega just, you know, slowly strokes the side of Scott Eastwood's face and says, I don't want to cut oh. you off right there, but we just there's just no time. That's the problem. Okay. Fine, uh, fine. I would love fine. to hear you go into that, much to your delight, in detail. But again... There's just no time. There's just because this film, there's just too much. It's just too, too dense. It's too dense. That's what Fine. it is. I'll just make uh, a subreddit like everyone else. Anyways, get, continue, hey, Mike. man, get on that subreddit. <laughs> there's going to be fans there. Uh, yes. Uh, Scott Eastwood is in this movie also. And yeah. he's uh, looks like young Clint Eastwood. And it's sort of weird and distracting when he talks sometimes because it's like, you're listening to him and you're like, why is this guy just randomly doing an amazing Clint Eastwood impression in the middle of his line deliveries? Like, right. oh yeah, that's his son. Uh, anyways, 
Well, so. before, sorry, I jumped, uh, this is my bad, I jumped too far ahead because I wanted to get straight to Scott Eastwood. No, Brr. but you can't no. okay. skip over the one one of the few scenes that Mako's actually yes. in. Yes, we, we can't do that. So while they're in, while he's in, uh, while Boyega's in the uh, police timeout or whatever, um, a hologram of Mako, uh, that's, that's Sorry, the, Mako. the way they call it, Mako, that's what they called her in the last movie. Um, comes to say, he's apparently he's been doing this a lot and getting in a lot of trouble, and uh, this is his last chance. He can either rejoin the Pacific, you know, rim job force or whatever, uh, and become and you know, be one with society again, or he could you know go to jail. Um, and so I guess he decides to do that, uh, and because. Uh, <laughs> Be, be, because uh, be, because what, what was her name again? Um, Amhari. Amar Amara. A Amara. Amara. A so it's the Mara. name Mara with an A in front of it. So Amara. Because Amara made a kaiju, they decided that instead of throwing a Jaeger. Excuse me. Wow. Because Amara made a Jaeger. They, instead of throw, putting her in jail and throwing away the keys for being, you know, a menace to society, they decide to give her a job. Perfect. Like in that episode of The Simpsons where Homer tries to steal something from a used car lot and then uh, the, the, the sleazy car salesman comes over to him and he's like, you know what we do to guys like you? And then it immediately cuts to him like putting on, uh, giving Homer like a suit and tie and it's like we put them to work. That's exactly what happened here. They gave Amara a job. From Amara this, a job. I, I got shades of the end of Commando starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, where it's like, Mako's like, this is the last time you'll be allowed to do this, Jake. And it's like, how many other times has Jake sort of run around and been caught and been in like a, a Jaeger encounter like this? It's because Schwarzenegger at the end of Commando, his officer <laughs> is like... Uh, G General Kirby, I believe his name is, is like, you know, we could really use you, Matrix, back on the force. And then Schwarzenegger's like, this was the last time. It's like, how many other times have you decimated small Central American government's armies just by yourself in order to get back Alyssa Milano? Questions. You know, where are the answers? We don't know. Yeah. But the, but she you lays out this speech here. where it's like this is the last time you have now yeah. you have to come back and go into the program again as an instructor and yeah. and yes he will be working with uh, Clint Eastwood's son Scott Eastwood who is uh, Ranger Lambert in this film uh, yeah. Nate not not Nate Lambert, Lambert the sheepish lion we will want to make sure that there's a distinct distinction here between that and the cartoon from the 1950s there's yes. uh, no. Lambert, the sheepish lion, Lambert yes. is always trying to be a wild and woolly sheep. Lambert, <laughs> the sheepish lion. Now, if anyone is still listening to this podcast and hasn't turned it off yet out of just disgust or self-reflection, we're going to go ahead and continue with the plot. Uh, so they go to the Shatterdome. Where is the Shatterdome located? Next to the Thunderdome. Um, I believe it's in Hong Kong, which is where they had... That's what I'm just assuming, because that's yeah. where they had it uh, 
in the last movie. It was near Hong Kong. So that that was, to my understanding, where it was. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, so they so, go somewhere to, in back Hong to Kong. the Shatter Dome and introduce a bunch of characters who are useless and who cares. Yeah. Um, the nice thing they, is they don't all look alike except for when they have their uniforms on. They almost had it. Like yes. they got a diverse group of kids who don't look alike. It's like, oh, that's the that's the Russian girl. That's the the you know that by that guy, that girl, that whatever. They don't all look alike. And then they put on their uniforms, and they're all like the similar greenish bluish tint. And they then they start to blend together. Um, anyway, um, so there, there our, is they they introduce Amara to like the rest of the cadets, and John Boyega sort of assumes his is instructor position along with scott yeah. eastwood um and there is that classic sort of film confrontation scene where there's one of the cadets in in sort of their barracks area instantly hates amara her name is uh victoria vic and she like it's one of those things where she's just like i don't know she hasn't even talked to her <laughs> but she just immediately yeah. hates her because movies she's russian that <laughs> that's you know she's russian that, you know they kind of fight or whatever and victoria i think she would like her and and realize that amara would be a valuable associate when she, like she says that she built a jaeger by herself to me yeah. that's like an amazing technical achievement that everyone everyone in this movie is just sort of like meh I'm going to go to the gym, do some push-ups. Oh, she created yeah. her own Jaeger. I'm going to keep playing cards with my buddy over here. It's like, this is, a, this is amazing. Yeah. This, this girl's a ge- clearly a genius. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have an outdated, she... like, feuding locker room scene yeah. from, like, Teen Wolf. <laughs> uh, teen uh, Witch. Teen uh... Witch. I wish, I wish we were reviewing Teen Witch. Uh, uh, so yeah, so that that's going on. Boyega and Eastwood have like a troubled past, which you know, of course later in the movie they'll have to get over, so that way they can you know blink and uh, drift, uh, handshake, whatever they keep calling it. Yeah, and Boyega uh, makes it clear that he's just killing time here. And, and yeah, there's a scene where they're talking, and John Boyega is just making an ice cream sundae the whole time. He couldn't yeah. be less interested in their object. Their like what they're doing there and Nate. Because there are no kaiju, just to reestablish, there are no kaiju anymore. Like, this is like a front. This is, uh, you know, just, you know, in case it ever happens again, we'll be prepared. But it's been 10 years. The world has moved on. Um, Yeah. And, but Nate Lambert, Scott Eastwood, tells Boyega that he utters the line, you have to understand your enemy's objective in order to know you've defeated them, which comes back handy later on in the movie. But basically, this this whole hour here, fairly, uh, it's just a lot of like reintroductions and a lot of characters talking to each other in weirdly sort of expedition or expedition ex, exposition. <laughs> dumps like not long after this we have um 
the two scientists, borderline mad scientists from yes. uh, the first film, Herman and Newton, kind of bump into each other because Herman, Charlie Day. Uh, sorry. No, Newton. Herman is played by Gorman. Right. Day plays Newton. Exactly. So Herman so, is. Oh, yes. We'll just go Charlie Day and then Herman. I think it's the best yes. way to say it. Charlie uh, and Herb. There we go. Charlie and Herb. There you go. Uh, because Charlie Day now works for um, Lee yes. Lu- Win Show, yes. uh, who is Jing Tang. And wh- she seemed very familiar to me in this film, Nate. Is there a reason for that? Well, that's because she uh, played the nearly non speaking. Uh character in King Kong Escapes, a character whose name I refuse to memorize because King, she was... King, sorry, Kong, King Kong, Kong Skull Island. Kong Skull Island. We're losing it. I, yeah, I'm losing it. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, she played uh, a barely noticeable character in Kong Skull Island, a character with uh, almost no lines. Uh, a character whose name I refuse to even memorize because uh, she was just shamelessly shoved in there for, uh, I don't know, for, for uh, I, yeah, she, she didn't really belong in that movie. She was just there, and it was just sad because, as we can see from this film, she actually is a very good actress, uh, and uh, she can you know perform well in English and Mandarin. So it's like, uh, thank you, Pacific Rim 2, for putting her to use. And uh, showing us what she can really do. Yes. In these early scenes, her sort of cold, professional, the characteristics of her personality. Her, yeah. She's the character, show who is the head of the show corporation that is making these drones. That The, the main thing here is that now they can have Jaegers that don't have a, like a person inside of them. So right. that the pilots don't get killed every time a kaiju again and there are no kaiju at this point but every time a a theoretical kaiju attack you know it it would increase safety and also sort of put all the jaeger pilots out of a job right so there's some kind of conflict there but uh, again charlie day is working for her and he sort of comes in and says hello to herman from the first movie and uh, this is where Herman introduces the idea of the kaiju blood that yes. could help. It's a combustion. It's a combustible yes. something. Uh, it can be in... used as a type of yes. rocket fuel. Rocket fuel. Uh, which will come in handy at no point ever in the rest of this film. Let, let's be clear. Never. Ever. Uh... Um, <laughs> so we, we go to, you know, Mako asks... Uh, Jake, John Boyega, to accompany her and pilot Gypsy Avenger to this uh, meeting in in Sydney where they're going to weigh in on whether or not they're going to approve shows, drones being implemented. And he says yes. So now we cut to uh, Sydney, Australia. Again, middle of the day, sunshine, no rain, Yes. Very clear. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing about this scene, uh, just off the bat, 
that I mm. wanted to point out, which is there are a number of protesters outside of yes. where this meeting is going to be taking place, and they're uh, they seem to be protesting for kaiju rights and like yeah. to protect the kaiju, which s- seems like nearly impossible. You well, know what I they're, mean? Like they're they're referenced as kaiju worshippers. Yeah. So, which for me, I'm like, that makes sense. It was not something to be delved deep into, but for me, it was just like, you know, that would make sense. I mean, there are a lot of crazy people out there with lots of crazy ideas, and why would there not be uh, people who have decided to uh, worship the uh, unholy gods from beyond the rift? Uh, <laughs> makes yeah. sense to me. Um, it's cool. I, you know, it, it, it just it adds a little. It, it, it's just like a, just a little grain of salt over over this whole display. Um, yeah, no, it's... It, it, it makes what would have just been, okay, Gypsy Danger's here. Oh, no, something bad happened. It's like, okay, there's just a little, little something to, to pad out the scene in a good way. Yeah, and, and it's a good idea. It's interesting. And it what makes it sort of vexing is that, and it's along with this idea of like the half-abandoned coastal cities or the abandoned coastal cities from, you know, kaiju damage. It's like there's cool, smart ideas in this movie, but they're almost like set dressing. And yeah. it's like, oh, here's this interesting idea that we drop in here, but let's just move it out of the way right away to kind of get back to these sort of bland characters talking about who gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and, and as a viewer, you're watching that, you're like, no, don't talk about that. Go back to that thing that yes. has never been referenced before. So it's it's a little disappointing. But yeah. anyways. Um, so uh, Gypsy Avenger is, is here. And John Boyega and Scott Eastwood are piloting it. And, you know, uh, Mako arrives in a helicopter. It doesn't quite land. Uh, Sho arrives in a helicopter which lands she gets out she's walking into the building then all of a sudden wouldn't you know it there is another jaeger shows up yeah uh known as somehow known as obsidian fury although i don't i'm a little unclear about several things about obsidian fury like uh, where did it come from how do they know its name is it from another shatter dome and it just went missing yeah. or that was something that should have been a little pad out at, at some point. They should have been like, like later when they're in the control room been like, it went missing. You know, it, it, it went under, you know, years and years and years ago. No one's been able to find it. You yeah. know, and why is it attacking us now? Yeah. One something line like, like that. that. It, um, it's just something that needed it. to be, you know, just thrown out there. Yeah. Um, so, Gypsy Danger, excuse me, Gypsy Avenger immediately goes into action, uh, you know, giving it a warning. And then uh, after that warning is ignored by way of rockets, um, they decide to attack it. A Gypsy Avenger does take a moment, though, to save uh, Sho and her entourage. Um, proving again that you can still have a movie with lots of destruction and also, you know, save civilians <laughs> right right um, um 
he catches the the helipad that is yeah. sort of protruding from the front of this building like a giant plate basically yeah. and he just reaches down they i guess we'll say gypsy avenger reaches down and catches this plate not unlike a waiter like just yes. catching a plate before it breaks um and saving show and um her her posse mm-hmm. um Mako, still in the helicopter, for reasons unclear, doesn't immediately just fly away to safety. Um, The two Jaegers engage in a fight, which is pretty cool. Some highlights include Obsidian Fury uppercuts uh, Gypsy Avenger Mm -hmm. up a building, like, vertically. And uh, that that was cool, because it's like... (laughs) Gypsy Avenger is like sliding up, upwards, breaking all the windows out, and that was cool. I appreciated mm. that. And they fight for a while. They pull out the swords pretty quick. Uh, yeah, that was one of the things from the first movie that, because Guillermo del Toro understands storytelling, uh, he waited for a while to bring out the sword that yeah. Gypsy Danger had in its repertoire. Uh, and then everyone who saw that movie was like, well, why did he just use the sword in every single scene? So they have, you know, it's not unlike the prequels where it's like in every scene of the prequels, there's like 57 lightsabers. Yes. It's all just a lightsaber fest. Now lightsaber with every encounter. Copy. Yeah. There's so many more weapons yes. in this movie. Because everyone uh, complained. People weren't happy uh, with what right. they were given. And now you see what happens when you add, like, a shitload of weapons. And that is, like, muddled over long fights. It's fine. Um, It'd be like if Ultraman was just Ultraman all the time. You know, there was no power-up or anything. He just automatically turned. Or as... To call back to what you said in uh, our uh, Pacific, our original Pacific Rim episode, uh, how in Power Rangers they don't just pull out the the Mega Sword or whatever it's called in Power Rangers, they they actually wait, you know. It's called the know. Power Sword. The Power yes. Sword. Okay, yeah. Or they don't get uh, Titanus doesn't immediately show up, you know. They actually, you know, the, all the all of them have to combine, and then the shit has to get real, and then they're like, okay, now we need Titanus, and then they get the the Falcon to attach to the back. I'm I'm sure I'm mixing two different seasons together, but and you're pretty um, close. You know, Titanus that, was basically... like a big turtle. No, 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 that uh... wasn't Titanus. That was uh, Bucket. What? Which one was that? Uh, there was the turtle, and then there was the brachiosaurus. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I'm right. Yes, you're I, wrong. You have to change yourself. Yes. Perfect. Uh, Agreed. So, going further into this, basically, Obsidian Fury uh, shoots a couple missiles, which which causes an explosion near Mako's helicopter, which which yeah. damages. Mako's yeah. helicopter. Well, and we so should you get this. Hmm, yes, we should bring up what she's doing in that helicopter, though. That she notices something for some reason that's oblivious to the audience and oblivious to the characters is that she's on her iPad, um, trying to send a message that isn't right. going through. Right. Which becomes important in the following scene. And um, then 
the damage happens and she's going down and Gypsy Avenger sort of runs over to her reaches out trying to catch that helicopter save Mako and he just can't quite catch it and she, she falls and explodes the helicopter blows up Gypsy Avenger trips and is essentially neutralized I mean the fight mm-hmm. is over and uh, a few more Jaegers show up and Obsidian Fury's like it's time to go and so that's it Mako like the main character from the first movie is just killed and not only killed like but killed in a dumb way that it's yeah. like her character should have been smart enough to avoid and it's like again this is someone who along with Charlie Hunnam saved the world yeah. and like was in a some fairly sticky situations at the end of Pacific Rim yeah, and had the guile and the survival instincts to to get through that. Yeah, but now Obsidian Fury's attacking. All of a sudden, she's just like, "Yeah, let's just watch this in a extremely distracting helicopter. This thing's clearly deploying a barrage of missiles mm-hmm. at, at the drop of a hat. Yeah, let's stay well within strike range of this yeah. insane mad tyrant Jaeger that's killing everyone in sight." I don't buy it, man. Hmm. And I was I was upset. I was upset with the uh, the death of that character. That rubbed me the wrong way. Definitely. Hmm. That's it. There's no. We just we should just have to sit in this <laughs> <laughs> and deal with what we just made. Uh... Um, th- there is okay. During the fight, they do utilize this weapon against Obsidian Fury called the Gravity Sling. Yes. Which, uh, to be clear, the city's just getting attacked. It's not yeah. like they've evacuated Sydney. No. So, I don't know. Basically, Gypsy Avenger uh, unleashes this gravity sort of you could think of it as like a net that yeah and and it slings all these cars and creates like uh a a cloud of cars yes it can then kind of use as a ball and chain basically Mm -hmm. to to hit uh obsidian fury and it's like (laughs) there might be people in those cars (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, you, you, you haven't gotten the go-ahead from Herman being like, the city's evacuated. It's like, yeah. they probably killed some people by using that thing, which know. is kind of awesome. You're, you're, I know, Mike, you're not a friend of Futurama, but uh, there was an episode of Futurama where Dr. Zoidberg... Uh, voiced by Billy West, becomes big and fights a giant bender, who's the, the robot character. And they basically use uh, people as cannon fodder. Uh, Zoeberg at one point picks up a train and then flips it around like nunchucks. But while he's doing that, the people are flying out the windows. I, I just um, want to know what are like the licensing agreements on becoming a Jaeger pilot. Do you, is it like being a double O agent and you have a license to kill? 
where it's like it's assumed there's going to be collateral damage and go for it basically yep. i mean none of them wear glasses so i'm assuming that uh you must have 2020 vision uh to pilot a jaeger um that was just something i noticed perfect uh, <laughs> uh so the gravity sling that's a thing that happened definitely just murdering civilians in their cars did <laughs> using that as a projectile or whatever <laughs> to, to to bludgeon the bludgeon uh, your opponent Bludgeon uh, around this time it's revealed that it kind of goes back to the show headquarters and, and show and Charlie Day are talking and she's like we have to have the drones ready for deployment within 48 hours or whatever and Charlie Day who's doing a masterful job at this point of playing his character like he's still nice guy he's great dude from the first one one of the you know, definitely the members of the team that helped defeat the kaiju the last time around and 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 show is definitely being painted as sort of like the villain or the turncoat or whatever yeah um and there's she, like she seems a, a lot bit shady of, like textbook red herring yeah. stuff going on here where it's almost they almost overplay the hand and then it doesn't matter because after that scene charlie day walks into like his apartment or whatever mm -hmm. and i want to know what love is by foreigner is playing <laughs> and he's like got the classic oh babe it was a tough day at the office you know let's you know you read my mind and he goes around the corner and it's I believe it's the kaiju brain from the end of Pacific Rim. It's called Alice. Yes. That he has kept and is, he puts on the little thing. And that's when he says, you read my mind. Cause it's like these, they're still drifting. And yes. So drifting. He's, he's compromised. Basically he's evil. Although he hasn't done anything directly evil yet. You're like, yeah. Oh shit. See, I so. didn't think that when watching it the first time. I mean, now it's like plain and clear, but at first I was just like, oh, he's just very sad and he's still drifting with that thing. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, Especially, he also mentions to uh, Herman earlier, it's like, oh, you should come by and meet Alice, you know, or, or say hi to Alice. Yeah. As if, like, he yeah. Are, like, Herman must already know that he does this because uh, they're close-ish friends. So... Um, yeah. So we kind of go back. We have some more character stuff. There's some more banter with um, the pilots, the Jaeger pilots. Um, they, they sort of mourn Mako's death. It's they, they talk about a funeral that they never really show. Um, yeah. And they show the wall of, of, of dead uh, Jaeger pilots, many of them characters from the first film, mm -hmm. almost all of them, I guess. Yeah. They'd start to descramble this message that Mako, Mako, sorry, has, has had sent to them before she mm -hmm. died. And at first they, they kind of unscramble it and Herman un, unscrambles it with a reverse algorithm thing. Something. And something. <laughs> and you can see that it's, it looks like a skull of a of a kaiju, and that's what yeah. everyone thinks it is. 
What they figure out is that this shape is not a kaiju, but it's a it's a landmass. Yeah, and in Siberia. In Siberia. So they suit up good old Gypsy Avenger mm-hmm. uh, to go out to Siberia to investigate. There is this... Now we see it's there's an abandoned power core factory for Jaegers. Right. Uh, which then uh, Obsidian Fury promptly shows up and destroys with missiles. And mm-hmm. then you've got Obsidian Fury v. Uh, Gypsy Avenger round two. Yeah. Um, and which is in the ice. It's really, uh, again, a pretty cool fight. The swords yeah. are definitely used a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some stuff with them breaking through the ice and kind of doing the bait and switch and some yeah. cool things there. Um, there's some nice back and forth between Boyega and Eastwood. It's just, you know, yeah. them, cause again, it, we did mention earlier, but there's, uh, a woman in between the two of them. I forgot what that character's name was, but the jewels. jewels, jewels is between the both of them. Uh, <laughs> family jewels. Um, so, so that's the, the, you know, they, they have Boyega had left, Eastwood stayed, and they both like jewels. Um, so there, there's a, a tryst betwixt the three of them. Right, right. Um, um, if they had just given to their feelings, they could merge much easier. Um, I see. Anyways, so, so they rip open where the pilot would be. Right, they, and, they neutralize oh, Obsidian Fury. Yeah. By ripping out its like power core, basically like ripping out its heart, mm. and they open up the cockpit, um, which is again in the head, yeah. which is so strategically dumb. Yeah. See, see the episode about Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla for that. Yeah. But <laughs> just just make it in the gut. Make it in the most yeah. secured part of the thing. It's like obviously opponents are going to go for the head. Never mind. Old territory. Sorry. They open up the cockpit, and yes, it's a kaiju brain has been piloting this thing. So it's like, oh, there's kaiju stuff on Earth. What's uh-huh. going on? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, and yeah. I, I can't remember whether... I believe this happened before, but we do need to mention that Amara drifts with... Boyega, and there is this moment where uh, they basically, by the numbers, remake uh, Mako's um, yes. origin story. She basically has the same origin, like witnessing yes. her family being killed at the hands of a kaiju. So that's her background story. And, and it's almost, yeah. That's right after Mako's death. And importantly, they're on a pier. Yeah. And the kaiju, like, breaks part of the pier between yeah. Amara and her family and her father yells out to her jump and I will catch you. Yes. And before she could jump, of course this Kaiju steps on that part of the pier, killing her whole family. And she's yes. the only one that lives. Right. Um, if someone was listening or if someone was highly attuned to at a crazy level of detail, they would have noticed that that Kaiju's skeleton is in the background earlier when they're in Santa Monica being taken ah. out of scrapper, uh, by November Ajax. I mm. noticed that is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so clearly that thing got killed on the beach, but, um, yes, 
Thank you, Nathan. They they do go through that bit of character uh, building. Uh, this is when they send in the drones. Yes. Yes. Send, send in the drones. In the drones. Um, so this is really where you're thinking, oh, show is is a bad guy because basically what happens is they release these drones. The drones go mental. They sort of change into drone kaiju hybrid. So the, the drones look like Jaegers. Uh, yeah. They they kind of look like a white 2017. Toyota Camry, um, <laughs> uh, but then they sort of kind of mutate and oh, they have like um, you know hands like kaiju claws like and kind of sort of and discharge coming through all their yes uh, and there's neon yeah. viscous discharge emanating from every crevasse and <laughs> what's the matter with us and. <laughs> The drones go on to um, sort of destroy. They, it's a two-tier attack. They destroy most of the shatter domes around the world and and disable all the Jaegers. Um, so I guess there's a lot of them. It's a very yeah. highly coordinated attack. And at the same time, they shoot a laser out of their chest, Care Bear style. Yes. Um, they do the Care Bear stare, stare. <laughs> into, <laughs> but instead of bringing joy and happiness and unconditional love, they reopen the breach and bring kaiju uh, through them. Yeah. Uh, three well, of let's them be, be clear, the multiple breaches. So many breaches. Yeah, so many breaches uh, all, all around the rim. Um, and so... <laughs> stuff happens um there's uh back and forth between uh charlie day and herman because herman is going to save charlie day they had uh amara had had her suspicions about um show because of the way things had been built in obsidian fury yeah Yeah, there's a whole sequence where amara and her friends go into yeah. obsidian fury and she notices some some wire yeah that's, that's unmistakably from the shao corporation so in case yeah. it wasn't clear enough apparently obsidian fury was built using shao tech and yeah. there's sorry there's a very good speech by john boyega there about like don't live your life based upon what you think the, what other people will think of you you won't like where it takes you yeah it's an actual good line and well delivered by Boyega. Then he also talks about how handsome he is, which is also very funny. Yes. But okay, jump into this. Yeah, in, 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 into this apocalypse. drone Bukaki. Yeah, um, the great betrayal via drone. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Day and Herman, they somehow are able to beat up these professional guards of Shao. Go to the main computer and then up turns out charlie day has been corrupted by the kaiju brain he's been uh you know merging with um yeah and uh it's weird because it's sort of a double like reveal like they had that scene where he's like he's still drifting with alice yeah who alice like he referred to the kaiju brain as like 
in the, in the first scene where he's talking to Herman, he made yeah. it sound like it was his girlfriend. Yeah. And that's what the audience would, would be assuming at that point. And so there's sort of a shocking reveal that he's like, he's drifting with a kaiju brain. Oh, what's going on? This other reveal about 10 minutes later in the movie is not quite as shocking when Charlie Day's like, I'm going to end the world. Yeah. Um, so that's just a side note, but it is yeah. sort of shocking and a little sad. Like if you are a fan of the first movie, it's always sort of sad to see like a heroic character. In this case, Charlie Day was like the kind of the comedy relief. Yeah. Um, turn evil. Mm-hmm. I felt more upset about this than Hayden Christensen's fall from grace from in episode three. <laughs> you know, but, he seemed like so good from the start. You know, who would have thought that Anakin Skywalker, that bundle of joy, would turn into Darth Vader? Yeah. Uh, he was just uh, so. Uh, he was a good friend, a good friend. <laughs> so Herman and Show. Show, by the way, teleports back into the con- this command room. Yeah. Right? Because uh, Charlie Day has a gun and he forces everyone out of this control room, except for him and Herman. Then he reveals, yes, I'm evil. I'm going to destroy the world. And then, like, a couple a couple shots later, because you go around the various Shatter Domes and you also see the Care Bear stare, you know, encircled... Yeah. The circle stare that's creating the drifts. <laughs> so there's some stuff going on. It cuts back to Charlie Day and Herman in the command center, which is, again, locked down. And all of a sudden, show just pops up with the gun. And she's like, I'm putting a stop to this or whatever. And it's like, where did she come from? How did she get in there? But who cares? Uh, moving along. Uh, Charlie Day somehow manages to escape. And... Again, it's this very sort of cliche movie thing where it's like, oh, he got away. And it's like, he got away. He's in the top floor of this lockdown building. Like, just find him. Send out a, a security team on each floor and find him. Yeah. Easy. Uh, but they don't. It's just like, he's gone now. Okay. Um... <laughs> so, she, uh, show manages to shut down the the drones yes and what has happened is so the the breaches are closed all the drones begin shutting down all of yeah i don't know the the droids from episode one they're just exactly you know that old chestnut so the drones all shut down and it's revealed that most of the shatter domes around the world are out of commish and there are three three kaiju that have gotten through, and I want to be specific about this, their names. Okay. Um, so there is Rajin, uh, Hakuja, and Shriekthorn have gotten through. So they are now in our reality. And they are converging. It's revealed that they are going towards Mount Fuji. Because you have the scene, they bring back the line of, you know, you have to understand the enemy's objective in order to know you defeated them. Which is interesting that in the 10 years this war went on, they never analyzed this data. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess Hashtag this is the first time bureaucracy. they were like... Yeah. Right. Uh, I guess Herbert was the first person to think about it. 
uh, whatever. <laughs> Even though Herman was definitely on this team back when the war was yeah. going on, so whatever. Just quiet reflection. And uh, so they determine through some very neat graphics that all of the kaiju are going towards Mount Fuji, very appropriate, and they're going to, I don't know, do a mutual suicide pact to have their blood go into the volcano that will then set off all, like, all the volcanoes around the Pacific Rim, and it'll just be like the opening graphics of the Michael Bay movie Armageddon, Basically. which will then complete the terraforming for the... Um, bad guys the bad aliens bad get what their names are yeah (laughs) moo not the the moo perfect the the precursors the precursors Precursors. riggins Um, okay riggins it's all it's all been a master plot of riggins so they're they figure this out and they're like okay how many kaiju or how many jaegers are left and they're like four and it's like no 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 not here at this shatter dome like around the world and they're just like four yeah <laughs> so it's like i guess they destroyed every other jaeger yep um and we're, we're doing these breaches so i guess look if there was 50 jaegers left this last fight would be you know more of a like a bizarre sad like mob scene of just oh, yeah. like these kaiju being held <laughs> down and like 15 jaeger not unlike the end fight of destroy all monsters where it's yeah. just like 15 monsters all pile on yes. Ghidra, you know and just he take didn't their have shots. a prayer <laughs> you know so okay i get for dramatic purposes you need yeah. to have only four jaegers yeah. left i mean if this sort of was dumb. like the fifth you know, or six, you know, movie in the series, then we would be okay with a, you know, 20 kaiju, uh, sorry, 20 Jaeger on one kaiju beat down. That would be fine. We would have earned it, but that hasn't been earned yet. <laughs> so basically, um, Guardian Bravo, Saber Athena, Bracer Phoenix, and Gypsy Avenger. You know, they have the montage of them rebuilding them. Because at first, it's just Gypsy Avenger is the yeah. only one that's left standing. But then, via the power of a montage, and they bring yeah. back the music from Pacific Rim 1, mm. they manage to fix four other Jaegers. Um, and so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jake has a speech. Yes. That is not as good as the speech from the first movie yes i don't know if anything else needs to be said there um and then they go again the characters all the kids they're wearing similar uniforms and while it was very easy to tell them apart before this when the shit starts to get down it does begin a question of wait which which kids are which yeah. Their uniforms are just, and their eyes are covered. It's just, it does become, and like, because of, I guess, the the lighting inside the Jaegers themselves is so dim, it's like, which kid is which again? They all sound the same. They all look the same in those suits. True. <laughs> anyway. Luckily, it doesn't really matter, because, no. you know, when you're watching, you don't really, really care. No. <laughs> so, but, um, so Scott Eastwood and John Boyega are in... Um, Gypsy Avenger and uh, Saber Athena has uh, Amara 
as well as two other characters. I think Vic is in there, and I'm not sure who the third person is. It's a lot of names. Yeah. Um, so they go, they converge on Neo Tokyo or whatever. It's Tokyo. Yeah. Um, Which is being attacked by Kaiju. Mega Tokyo. Mega Tokyo. Which is being attacked by kaiju, but you do see the people actually fleeing to kaiju safety, un, you know, un, safety bunkers. Yeah, you know, which and is, they do give. Yeah, it's unfortunate that at no point the defense force didn't like just call Tokyo and be like, "Oh, by the way, heads up, there's <laughs> yeah, three, you know, there's three kaiju heading your way the, including two yeah. category fours and a yeah. category five you yeah. might want to yeah. leave but this looks like new information <laughs> to everybody on the ground there's like a lot of people getting stepped on here yeah so sort I mean, of that weird that montage covered a fair amount of time i'd at least imagine a day and a half if not a week <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i guess all their their phones were down or something uh like otherwise why not tell the people of Mega Tokyo to evacuate. I mean, hmm, I'd assume by the steps alone would have you know, caused at least a seismograph change. You know, so it would have been like, gee, something big might be headed this way. Let's get out over, of here. Yeah, we may be overthinking this. I don't know. Um, so then, you know, the the Jaegers descend onto Mega Tokyo and the hoedown begins. And yeah. this is uh, about 15, 20 minutes of, again, some of the best of this sort of neo-kaiju, like big budget stuff that we have ever seen that's ever been produced. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun stuff in here. Um, there's a Jaeger that has a whip, for example. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so forth. Um, but what? it's... It's a pretty long fight. Uh, each each Jaeger has kind of its own moment to shine. Uh, one of them actually has a ball and chain that it can fire from its arm, which is like super cold-blooded and awesome. Yes. Um, at some point during the fight, it's revealed that uh, Charlie Day is there Uh in Tokyo, and he has a tablet that controls shows, uh, like Japanese, like Tokyo-based headquarters. Yeah. And he presses a button on his tablet, and the doors come up, and all these. The, I I don't know what they're even called. They're legion. Just, they're Let's just, just smaller, say <laughs> smaller kaiju. Uh, yeah. Or whatever, come and they force. Um, the the other the three kaiju into one mega kaiju yes and um and when we say mega this thing is 128 meters tall weighs mm. about 7864 tons and it's just a bad it's a rough customer and basically yeah. it's so big that when like no single jaeger can engage it and right. not just be ripped in half <laughs> yeah <laughs> um which is pretty hardcore so so this the mega kaiju makes short work 
of everyone except Jimsy, Gypsy Avenger, uh, which it does, it's important to point out, disable. It, it stabs through Gypsy Avenger's face, uh, in somehow injuring uh, Scott Eastwood. And so now you have a situation where, and then it just turns around and heads towards uh, Mount Fuji. And right. now you have a situation where Scott Eastwood is like, well, I'm, I guess I haven't gained the level of popularity yet to you know, be present for the film's climax. So yeah. I have to literally be the filmmakers eject him out of the movie. And yeah. then they bring in Amara in order to you know, check all the yeah. statistics that they've, they've kind of formulated for the maximum success vector. So yes. now you have Amara and Jake piloting Gypsy uh, Avenger. Right. And they're like, but we can't get there in time or whatever. We need one of the boosters, but, you know, it's too far away or whatever. And then, once you know it, uh, a scrapper being piloted yes. by show uh, is released from technology. an airplane. Yeah. And just causes so much damage landing. <laughs> like, goes into a barrel row and just barrel rows for, like... <laughs> five buildings and it's like you've just caused like a trillion dollars of damage just couldn't you just like land safely whatever uh so now and 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 thusly thusly sort of completing shows total character trans transmogrification into like now like the hero and is like definitely saving the day mm. um and she grabs this booster and uh welds it to a gypsy avenger's hand which then sends gypsy avenger not directly up but like yeah. through Megatokyo first, like more more collateral damage but eventually it takes off <laughs> and is going up and uh you go yeah. you know go into the ending of uh, quite King a few Kong. science fiction movies where it's like King Kong the, versus Godzilla. King Kong, basically. well, yeah, I mean that mixed this, with sort of the end of Moonraker, where it's like <laughs> the thing is crashing through the atmosphere, and and you know you've got this one shot to hit the the thing and blow it up or whatever. And yeah. this was this was to to mention what I brought up earlier. This was the exact moment when the film stopped. Because there was a thunderstorm that knocked down the projector for about five minutes. This was the moment. Like as soon as they got actually airborne, was when it cut off. <laughs> and for a moment, everyone in the audience was thinking, like, "Oh, this is something. This is like plot or, or something." No, it was just <laughs> projector. Because all the other lights in the theater that were, you know, on, you know, the safety lights were on. So we're like, I mean, what's going on? So yeah. Yeah, I can see that that being very vexing. Um, but what happens is Scrapper is just sort of like just hanging off of Gypsy Avenger's back as Gypsy Avenger is colliding through our planet's atmosphere headed on a suicide-like course with uh, the Mega Kaiju that's yeah. um, approaching the summit of, of Mount Fuji. And... Um, they try to hit their ejector seats. Or first, Amara tries to hit her ejector seat. It 
it doesn't work or it's already gone because Scott Eastwood has used it. So yeah. then you get the call back of she has to be released from her harness and John Boyega's like, jump, I promise I'm going to catch you. Just like what her father said during the flashback, except she jumps this time and he catches her. Mm-hmm. And then they have the thing, oh no, now John Boyega's escape hatch isn't working or whatever, it's jammed. Mm-hmm. And once again, show is like, hey, I'm here or whatever. They they remember scrappers hanging off their back. And so they go, oh, they open up like the back hatch or whatever out of the back of um, Gypsy Avengers head. And they go and they get into the cockpit of scrapper uh-huh. or whatever. And then scrapper jumps off the back of Gypsy Avenger just as Gypsy Avenger comes down and collides with the mega kaiju and you have the airborne side sort of seismic schism it sound it looks exactly like when uh mordor blew up at the end of return <laughs> of the king you know what i mean yeah yeah um and so that that's pretty cool just sort of that you know like shockwave through air and uh luckily they didn't set off mount fuji by doing that they could very yeah. easily I mean, it's sort of a Which miracle. Which is what they were trying to avoid. <laughs> exactly. That, that's the whole... seems sort of a... kind of an unnecessarily reckless solution to that problem, but uh, whatever. I mean, luckily, Mount Fuji didn't blow up in that. Um, but uh, it... And then you have the shot of, like, the mega kaiju sort of being knocked down, and then it's trying to get up again, and the music kind of comes in. It's like... Dun, 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 and then... Yeah. No, it's like the camera pans back and it's it's been cut in half and yeah. then it like falls down and it's it's dead. Um, oh, and Scott Eastwood punches out uh, Charlie Day. Uh, <laughs> Scott, Scott Eastwood's like, remember me? Uh, and we do, just barely. And uh, he punches out Charlie Day and then, um, you know, the three of them get out of... Although it's weird, because, like, show stays in Scrapper, but then, you know, Amara and Jake get out of Scrapper so they can sort of have their moment together, which is... Yeah. It's, it's weird. It is weird that show doesn't also get out. I guess she's, like... Well, no, she's doing know. it via drone. Oh, she was doing it via drone. Yeah. Makes more sense. A, yeah. She was makes in, way more sense. Thank you, Nathan. Apple Circle. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it looks like an Apple store. Yeah. Um, okay, and I've only seen the movie twice, so maybe on the third time around I'll catch that. <laughs> uh, but, so, yeah, and then they say something about snow or something, and they start literally just having a snowball fight. And yeah. Then it cuts to Pacific Rim Uprising, and then it cuts back to Charlie Day being tortured, and John Boyega walks in like Big John Stud, uh, wearing his fin jacket. It's just a slightly lighter shade. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, "You don't have to worry about you guys come to us next time. We're taking the fight to the precursors or whatever." Yeah. Sort of teasing the sequel that financially at this point <laughs> doesn't look like it, it may be a straight to red box you know straight to crackle, straight to crackle. thing that we might see like seven years from now uh and we'll feature jake Busey, you know so <laughs> so 
Jake Busey will be the the head Jaeger pilot. Who knows? Uh, those Shasta McNasty uh, checks aren't aren't really covering rent anymore, so it's got to work. Anyway, Shasta McNasty reference 2018. It's happening. So, and then the credits start and that's the end of the movie and there is no post-credit sequence yes which the usher came in immediately as the credits are rolling (laughs) to inform me and the rest of the audience by the way there's no after credit sequence um which as a former theater employee is kind of like i don't give a fuck you shouldn't be cleaning this theater until after the credits <laughs> uh, yeah i can see yeah i can see both ideologies i think <laughs> if, it, if, if it was like hey there's no after credit sequence just so, to let you know and then sort of very peacefully quietly sort of stand to the side and wait for the credits to end yes i can see that but if he's like, there's no end credit sequence and get out of here because I want to clean the theater, yeah. that is a broach of, or a breach of, uh, of yeah, that, that, that's bad. Yeah. So, but anyways, so that's, and then Pack Rim 2, right up the rising ends. <laughs> and I believe that's the last we're going to be seeing of any of those characters. <laughs> Again, unless there's some bizarre financial, you know, reversal of fortune yeah. for uh, for this film. Or uh, an animated sequel that uh, will be uh, made straight to Netflix. That, yeah. uh, you know, with the same people that brought us uh, Planet of the Monsters. Was that what it was called? I uh, I don't. I actually don't remember what you're talking about. Okay, so um, that does it for this film. Uh, I just wanted to mention at this time it's it's the spring of 2018. So also Ready Player One came out, and I just wanted to address. I don't think Nate and I are going to be doing an episode on that. I thought maybe people would be wondering about that and turns out that some of the kaiju stuff that was kind of being teased on some of the websites some of the some of the you know kaiju websites and stuff uh did not pan out and there weren't nearly the the number of toho kaiju that we were initially said in in the initial reports we were all being trolled uh so now it's just sort of you know, we have a redesign of, of one of the classic kaijus, and I don't want to spoil which one at the end of that film. But, um, you know, if, if you like kaiju stuff, I would say go see it. But it's not, that's a very sort of small part of it. And not yeah. enough to warrant its own episode. And also, it doesn't actually take place in the reality, like the real reality of that film. It takes place inside virtual reality. And if we start going down that slippery slope, then, you know, we may also have to review Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which does, in fact, feature Godzilla and Guy, or uh, Ghidra. But, you know, they're on a film set. You know, it's not yeah. real. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's not enough. I mean, we could argue the ratio of kaiju needed for us to review the film. Um <laughs> 
it just comes down to the fact that it's not a kaiju movie. It's not made to be a kaiju movie. It's focusing on video games and pop culture, which, yeah, um, again, not mentioning the, the monster, but, I mean, <clears throat> this one in particular did not show up in the 80s, so I kind of am thinking, why was it there in the first place? But whatever, um, yeah. So while we do try and branch out from our sole focus from time to time, reviewing films like House uh, and Attack of the Mushroom People, this is just not one of those ventures we're going to take. Uh, it's a great movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly, but it's not for this podcast. Right. And, and again, we've been discussing Ready Player One and, and, and talking about why we're not going to discuss it further and, and give it yeah. its its own entire episode but that is out right now and it's weird it's weird that all this stuff is out right now like it's weird pack room yeah. 2 rampage comes out at the end of this week um or comes out april 13th so and then, i'm yeah. i'm excited mike for uh the uh, Steven Spielberg film Ready Player Juan, uh, which I hear is coming, you know, this May. A uh, hundred and forty-seven takes, and that was the best one. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Pacific Rim Uprising, fascinating symptom of the collapse of the movie system as we know it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure historically that's how it's going to be looked at. <laughs> Uh, you know, again, a shallow uh, attempt to create a franchise where one <laughs> organically wasn't really being called for by the general public. But we have this other movie here now, so it's fine. And there's some fine. pretty good fights in it. Uh, once for all, proving that Scott Eastwood is probably not going to be a thing. Uh, <laughs> but John Boyega, very good in it. Yeah. Uh, I'm pissed at the way it treated uh, Mako's character. Um, and that's that's really all I have to say about it, I guess. <laughs> um, so, thank you for listening, everybody. This is the Godzilla Pod War Hour. We remain on Facebook. Uh, we are also on Twitter. The handle is Mike Kelly, sorry, Michael Kelly at Godzilla Pod War. Um, and the Tumblr page is still out there somewhere. Somewhere. In the deep recesses of the internet. It's probably exactly. already gone through the rift. Um. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Nate, closing thoughts or, or comments? Uh, just, you know, again, I enjoyed this film as, I think, as my 12-year-old self enjoyed Godzilla vs. Gigan or Godzilla vs. Megalon. Uh, that was the feeling of enjoyment I got. And, uh, my friend and listener to the show, Nicholas Young contacted each other after seeing the movie and we both, you know, mutually agreed, God, I wish we could have watched this together. So yeah, again, was it amazing? No. Was it fun? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was fun. It was, it's a yeah. fun movie. If somehow it's still in a theater, when you listen to this <laughs> and you haven't seen it and you're thinking about seeing it, I would recommend it. 
not a glowing recommendation, but you know, it is. How how often are you going to get a chance to see a kaiju movie in the theater, other than yeah. also when Rampage comes out? So yeah, and that one has The Rock in it. So ew. <laughs> anyways thanks for listening everybody um good fight good night happy hunting